Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We are your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you about the death of Tiffany Valiente. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe, and let's dive in. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for a Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. I do want to preface this episode and just mention that we do discuss um, suicide and I want to give everyone a heads up because I know that that can be kind of triggering. So if that is something that bothers you, maybe skip this episode. But like I said, I just wanted to give you all a heads up. I first learned about this case pretty recently. As some of you may know, the new series and well, new season of Unsolved Mysteries is on Netflix. And so, of course, I've already binge watched them. And I first learned about Tiffany's case from watching this series. I do recommend watching it. It's going to touch on some information that I won't get into too big of details with. Either way, Tiffany's story really touched me and I I really felt for her and her family. And that's why I wanted to present this case. In 2015, 18-year-old Tiffany was Um, living with her parents, Steve and Diane, in Mays Landing, New Jersey. She was a very smart girl. She was very athletic, so much so that she had a volleyball scholarship to Mercy College in New York and had full plans to go there and already had a roommate. And she was just, you know, kind of hanging out until that time came. She apparently seemed like she was doing really well. Um, She had recently broken up with her girlfriend, but I guess it was amicable. There was no bad blood, and she was recently seeing somebody new. She had quite a few friends. She was very social and very tight-knit with her family. On July 12th, she and her parents had visited her uncle's house. He lived just across the street, and uh, her cousin was having a graduation party. So the family went over to join in the party, give their support. And at some point, Tiffany had gone back home. And so her parents went back by to see what she was up to. And around 9 p.m., one of Tiffany's friends pulled up to their house and actually had talked to Tiffany's mom about how she was pretty sure Tiffany had stolen one of her credit cards and had been using it. And Tiffany denied it. Um, They had this conversation outside for about 10 minutes and the friend took off. And then when Diane went out to look in Tiffany's car, she did happen to see Tiffany slide a card into her pocket, basically caught her and realized that she had been doing that. And I guess at some point relatively recently, um, Tiffany had also stolen money from her parents' bank account. So there is a little bit of this ongoing issue. Was she stealing the money for anything specific that we know of? Uh, I have no idea. I'm not sure exactly where the money was going towards, but from what I'm guessing and assuming, it wasn't anything bad, like not drugs or anything. That never came up. 
At this point, Diane goes back in to get Tiffany's dad because they're going to talk to Tiffany about it. Obviously, this is bad behavior and they're going to try to correct it. And they go in and when they come back outside, Tiffany's gone. And so Diane and Steven are like, well, crap. So they're trying to call her and get a hold of her and they are seeing no sign of her. At this point, Tiffany's gone, and Diane and Steven are calling her nonstop. They're not getting an answer. And then Steven realizes, hey, we have a deer camera set up in the driveway. Let's let's look at it. And at 929, they can see Tiffany walking down the driveway off towards the road. And at this point, they know she took off somewhere. They saw her walking, and they bring in her uncle and family members to start calling and looking for her. As I mentioned, her uncle lived pretty close by, and they were a pretty tight-knit group. So at this point, they have everybody looking. At some point when they're searching, they find that her phone was actually in the grass at the end of the driveway. This obviously concerned them even more. I guess Tiffany was pretty attached to her phone, as most girls at that age, or anybody at that age really is, and they know for a fact she wouldn't have just dropped it and left it there. At 11.30 p.m., they actually called the police to file a missing persons report and get them involved. And at some point during this whole endeavor, Michael, who is Tiffany's uncle, starts driving around to see if he can find her. And there is a spot that had a little service road that went down railroad tracks. And so as he's driving to go over these railroad tracks, he sees a bunch of police lights and a lot of commotion. And so he pulls up, and I should mention to you, he's with the state police, but he goes up and he's asking them what's going on, and they're like, well, somebody got hit by a train. A girl got hit by a train. And at this point, Michael's freaking out because, you know, you're putting two and two together. And so he's telling them, hey, well, my my niece is missing, and we're trying to find her. And they're like, oh, like, can you I could you identify the body and see if it's her? And so he's like, okay, I can do that because at this point, he's by no means going to call Tiffany's parents and ask them to come ID it because he didn't want them to even have to be involved with that. Michael is brought over to where they have Tiffany's body and he does identify that it is in fact Tiffany. And he has made a statement about it. He says, quote, I truly believe in my whole heart that my brother would never have been able to handle it. What I saw that night, no one needs to see that. It was probably one of the most horrific things I've seen, end quote. I feel like that would just be so traumatizing for anybody, but I give him major respect for him feeling like it needed to be him Mm -hmm. instead of her actual parents. Sure. And, you know, at some point he he calls them to tell them, what's going on and they're like we're coming down there and he's like no absolutely not you do not need to remember her this way new jersey transit train 4693 and it was traveling at nearly 80 miles per hour and i mean we don't need to get into details but we know trains are heavy and you can imagine that that was probably a very very gruesome sight and very unfortunate way for her uncle to remember her They're able to determine from the engineers and the train drivers that at 11.07 is when she was actually struck by the train. And it was around 11.30 that he arrived on the scene? Correct. The next day, 
pretty pretty quickly local news teams picked up on it and they are basically like tiffany committed suicide and that's what everybody's already reporting and a handful of days after her death the medical examiner also lists her manner of death as suicide and at this point authorities are not looking into it something i want to mention that will come into play a little bit later because what had happened was on the tracks it was under a different jurisdiction than like the local police and authorities it was under the jurisdiction of new jersey transit police so they're involved with this you know transit system and so it's a a different organization a different set of skills and experience and like i said we'll dive into that a little bit more a little bit later at the time or what was at least reported on the um, examiner's report and the the case was that the engineer who was operating the train at the time that Tiffany was struck by it told authorities that she had either darted or jumped onto the tracks and they sounded the horn and she didn't move. And from all this is where they're getting, she committed suicide. I, every time... Not that we've covered many of these, but every time I hear of an instance where where a person or a car has been hit by a train, my heart just always goes out to the train conductor because you know that that has to be so traumatizing for them. Like there's quite literally nothing Mm -hmm. that they can do in that moment. Absolutely. So they just have to come to the terms that they're about to hit somebody and that person is most likely going to die. And that just sounds absolutely awful and that alone makes me never want to be a train conductor yeah i can't even imagine the trauma you go through with that immediately when tiffany's family hears this they're like no tiffany did not commit suicide as i'd mentioned before she had all these plans to go to college she had a scholarship she had friends she didn't really appear to have any suicidal thoughts And she even had plans for like the next day to go to this place called Great Adventure with friends. So it was very odd. It would be very odd timing. Let's say it was a suicide. This would mean Tiffany dropped her phone at the end of her driveway, walked miles to the tracks in the middle of the night and alongside the tracks and then just stood in front of the train. And I also want to mention that when they found her, um, she was barefoot and just wearing her underwear her clothes were not other clothes were not recovered like it definitely points to her going there with determination right like she dropped her phone presumably so that nobody could contact her or trace where she was and then she walked directly to like the set of train tracks i don't i don't know well and let me mention too let me throw in another little wrinkle here I guess what you're saying, yeah, that would have been planned for kind of a random moment that happened because it was following this altercation she's having with her friend and her mom. But additionally, um, they went to they her mom kept looking for her stuff because on the camera, you can clearly see Tiffany has a white headband on. She has on shorts and a shirt and shoes. And so her mom's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would nothing, you know, nothing else be there? And so her mom spent a lot of time walking around trying to find her other items of clothing. And her mom did actually find her shoes and her headband. Um, They were about 1.7 miles away from 
from their home. And I guess they were like either piled nicely or neatly lined up under a tree more than a mile away from where she actually was struck by the train. Well, that leads to a lot of different questions. Mm -hmm. Also, we still have the question of where her clothing was, like the rest of her clothing, like her shirt and her pants or shorts. Absolutely. What investigators decide, because as I mentioned, they roll out a suicide and they decide that she stripped down during her walk on her way to the tracks and then walked barefoot along the train tracks, which would have been, like I mentioned one point, well, it was nearly two miles. And so she would have been walking barefoot over this path along tracks. And I'm sure all of you know, a lot of times along railroad tracks, it's sharp rocks, rocks and broken glass apparently was also reported. And something interesting about this is clearly her body had a lot of damage from being struck by the train, but the bottom of her feet were fine. So she never got, she didn't get any cuts or abrasions or anything from walking barefoot along the tracks. That's really odd. But we know that she walked along the tracks for like a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, They never, they never do find the shorts and shirt that she was wearing earlier that we know she had on from the footage. Not to mention she had seen a lot of her family members that night. With all this, the family's obviously, like I said, they're not buying it. They think something else happened, likely a homicide. And so they had um, a family lawyer named Paul D'Amato who was helping them out, trying to figure out what was going on. They also had hired their own investigator, who I do believe was separate from D'Amato. Maybe they worked together. It got a little confusing when I was researching it. But either way, they provide this big report and they're like, hey, there are all of these, quote, plausible explanations of her death. Suicide is not one of them. The family investigators don't think that Tiffany's death was a suicide. And so they start looking into it. And as I just mentioned previously, the site and the direction that she would have walked to get there, presumably barefoot, was very strange. And I sent a photo to Erica, so I'm going to have her pull it up so we can talk about it and describe it a little bit. Okay. So, Erica, if you have it pulled up, you should be able to see where her home is, where her shoes and headband are found. Mm -hmm. And then it follows this road called Tilted Road all the way up to the site of impact. And... I don't know what you think, but to me, that seems like a very long way to be walking with no shoes on. Yeah, I mean, it shows about two miles where she's walking on the road with no shoes. And then, I, I don't know, a quarter of a mile backtracking again along the railroad tracks? Right, yeah. I'm guessing that... She would have been traveling, like, basically northwest from where she drops her shoes and headband to go straight up to where the tracks were and then cut back down east. And I guess if you you could you could look at it like if somebody's going to go commit suicide, maybe they're not in a right mindset, maybe they would do something odd, but it just seems so strange that she would drop her shoes in her headband and then continue on to this. I'm also curious like still where her clothing is because so this looks like a a main road that she's walking along. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm i going to assume that because she was found in just her underwear, right? Correct. 
So I'm going to assume that she didn't walk all this way in just her underwear. Because if so, somebody probably would have stopped or called somebody. Yeah. Like I'm glad you mentioned that, too. Um, That's something they discuss a lot. She played, she had a volleyball scholarship and she was a tall girl. I think she was 6'2 or 6'3. Not somebody you're missing walking down the side of the road late at night. And I mean, even, yeah, to mention, like, let's say she didn't strip down till she got to the tracks. If you see somebody that tall, you're going to notice them walking barefoot. Like, that seems odd. It does seem odd, but even if she did strip down at the tracks, where did her clothing Correct. go? They didn't just vanish into thin air. Like, that That leaves so many questions. Now, this, this path is just an assumption that she took. That one? That specific path? I think it's an assumption based on, like, what makes sense. Because in between, it's just land. So, she'd be cutting through properties. And where her shoes and headband were found versus where she was actually struck by the train. With the idea of it being strange that she would be committing suicide along with it if you look at statistics on suicides there's a there's a statistical analysis that was conducted by harvard school of public health that i found and they're basically saying that most deaths by suicide occur in the home and it involves very less dramatic means than a moving train while it's not unheard of it still would be a very it would be more of a um outlier statistically don't quote me on this this is something i just know i've heard or read before too women typically when they kill themselves they do not do it violently because they typically don't want other people to have to basically clean it up and so they're still being considerate like i said i I have just read it before, so I can't specifically cite it. So I'm saying that with no authority. <laughs> there are statistics that show that. Erica's got the schooling that she can more confidently say it than I have. Now I'm going to go into a little bit more of the investigation, quote unquote, if you want to call it that, that happened into Tiffany's case. As I mentioned, local police and authorities did not have jurisdiction. It was the New Jersey Transit Police. And... While nobody's going to discredit their work, I don't think they have the same amount of experience as maybe um, homicide detectives or investigators that specifically look into these cases for a living. And there is evidence of this within their immediate investigation um, that happens right after Tiffany is struck by the train. And a lawsuit does come around in 2019 from the family against the New Jersey Transit Police. And there's a couple of reasons and things that are cited in this lawsuit. And this includes a lack of proper collection and storage that would have been beneficial to test for DNA later on. There's a couple instances they mention that One of the items recovered from the scene had been stored in a plastic bag and was, quote, covered in mold, end quote, and that there were pieces of evidence that were just left outdoors and exposed to the elements for weeks prior to actually being collected. And that does lead me to something that I wanted to discuss because I was horrified by it. Her uncle went back because he knew that they didn't do a good job collecting all the evidence at the scene. 
um, him and one other person, and I can't remember who, walked up and down the tracks with plastic bags collecting evidence of this were literal like pieces of Tiffany. Like he mentions picking up a part of her skull and there was like bloody used gloves from the transit police that were just thrown on the ground. And his purpose for doing this obviously was to, you know, try to prevent any more trauma from the parents, from Diane and Steven. And I just thought that was so horrible. I mean, honestly, this uncle seems like a great guy and a great advocate for the family. I my heart goes out to him for the things that he had to do. But I I agree that, you know, the transit police probably are not as familiar because they're used to, you know, pretty cut and dry situations where somebody's hit by a train, it's an accident or it's a suicide, like, and then they move on. I don't think that they really have much homicidal stuff that they're looking into as transit police. So they wouldn't be trained in the correct ways to preserve things so it is definitely a flaw in this system absolutely and you know it's a real disjustice to tiffany and her family not to mention evidence is not properly collected and maintained but they also never performed a rape kit and the toxicology reports also found that there was no drugs or alcohol in her system which would lead away from a suicide Additionally, apparently there was some type of axe that had red markings that had been found near the site where Tiffany's body was found, and it went missing in storage before it was able to be tested. Well, that seems negligent. Yeah, I don't even... How do you even do that? I mean, come on. Additionally, um, I do want to mention about the train conductors or those who were driving the train at this time. One of them was a student engineer who had been on the job for about 14 months and he was accompanied by a senior engineer. And on the initial on the initial accident report, they both claimed that Tiffany jumped in front of the train before they could stop it. And then a little bit later, a few days later, they're put under oath. And the senior engineer then says that he didn't actually see Tiffany jump in front of the trains because um, his back was turned during the moment of impact. And the student engineer also changes their story, saying that they did not see Tiffany until, quote, I was right on top of her, end quote. And then later on, again, when there's a deposition, the student engineer changes the story again, saying that he saw... And I'm saying he, I'm not sure if it's a guy or a girl, but they saw Tiffany jump out of the woods onto the tracks. So we have these conflicting stories, which could be because of trauma, but it could be because they're not sure and they're trying to just determine it as suicide because that's how it's already been pegged as. Apparently, there was some type of, I would, I'll say like troublings in Tiffany's past. Her Some of her friends do describe that she maybe was like, lonely or depressed sometimes but they all did say that they that she never showed signs of suicide and even a counselor stated that in a summary from one of her therapy visits did suggest that Tiffany claimed to neither be depressed or suicidal and I just wanted to mention a little bit of it because I did find in some articles that mention it, but 
her family kind of disclaims it, saying it was just normal, normal teenager stuff. Um, at some point, Tiffany did come out to them as gay, and there might have been a little bit of struggle with that as well, I'm sure. But at the end of it all, they really, truly do not believe that she was suicidal. From the investigation that's going on by the family friend and the private investigator, they do come up with more of a theory. They believe that in the corner of the the deer camera image that there is a headlight, so maybe a car came by. And so they think that potentially Tiffany knew who was in the car and got in with them. And then they grabbed her, subdued her, and threw her phone out and then drove off. And it's possible that she was then murdered and placed on the tracks. And one of the reasons for this is because apparently there was a large amount of blood at the spot where Tiffany was hit by the train, which would be consistent with her body being there and bleeding for a while before getting hit. Additionally, they were looking at a potential route in between a road and where she was hit by the train and this leads and also if I remember right this site was kind of identified by some of the cadaver dogs but Erica if you want to pull up the second photo I sent you what the photo is is it's showing between where she was hit by the train and um, a road right across the way there's this plot of land and there's no it's surrounded by woods there's a little um, mowed out area and in the middle there is ruins from an old building and it's abandoned and it's far away from any neighbors and it's quiet and investigators and her family think potentially they picked her up, threw her phone out the car and took her to the site and either tried to attack her and she tried to get away and got hit by the train or they attacked her and killed her and then placed her body on the tracks. Yeah, I could. I mean, it's close enough to the impact site, right? You know, it would also make a little bit more sense for where her phone was found. It could also make sense as to where her clothing went because I'm still... I'm still mm-hmm. on that, like sure. where her shirt and shorts went, because those have never been found, right? Correct. So did investigators look at that area at all? Or did, I mean, the private investigator at least, because... I know they have I know they looked into it. Um, I assume they didn't find anything. But, you know, that's not to say it's not there and they just missed it. In 2017, a lawsuit was filed against the state medical examiner's office to try to have the suicide ruling overturned. And then in March 2018, they declined to change her manner of death. Following this, obviously, her family is still trying to get justice and answers, hence this episode being featured on Unsolved Mysteries. And they've been really funding all of this investigation on their own. You know, they're paying for all these the private investigator, they're paying for the research, they're paying for all of this. And in addition to that, they do have a offer or a reward for information that leads to definitive answers about Tiffany's death. And this is now sitting at $40,000. Anybody who has information surrounding Tiffany's death can contact 
Paul D'Amato at 609-926-3300 or submit a tip at unsolved.com. And you can also contact the State Office of Attorney General at 800-277-2427. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.